Today, we're beginning a new series, just like Jill told us earlier. Over the past few months this year, we've looked at three series so far. I Met Jesus, Remembrance and Celebration, and then we looked at the Fruit of the Spirit, each for two months with a month in between of doing miscellaneous ideas. And so today, if you've been reading the Onward or looking on our website or looking at Facebook or anything like that, we know what we're looking at is the story of Nehemiah, and we've called it Build the Wall. That's what it's all about. You might be surprised, and if I put my uh, paws in the wrong place, you're going to think I'm heretical. But, because I only say that just to make you look and listen a bit more, but I'm going to say there isn't a book of Nehemiah in the Hebrew Bible. I've put the, wrong, the pause in the wrong place, because now I'm going to say there isn't a book of the Nehemiah in the Hebrew Bible like there is in our Old Testament. And that's all different then, isn't it? Because in the Hebrew Old Testament, or Bible really, the books of Nehemiah and Ezra aren't Ezra and Nehemiah. That's two books. They're one book. And so if you're reading it in Hebrew, you wouldn't see Ezra as one book, Nehemiah as one book, but you'd see Ezra and Nehemiah as one book. And in 382 AD, when Jerome started translating the Latin Vulgate, what they called then Nehemiah, he called two Ezra, number two Ezra. And that's just like the Hebrew Old Testament again, because in the Hebrew Old Testament, it isn't one chronicles and two chronicles, it's Chronicles. It's not one kings and two kings, it's... Oh, you're getting the idea. It's not one Samuel and two Samuel, it's... Yeah. And so that's what they did with that book as well. They said one Ezra, two Ezra. It's just that for hundreds of years now in the Christian faith, we've been calling it Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra was probably written about 440 BC and the book of Nehemiah was written about 430 BC. Today, Nehemiah, build the wall. What we're going to look at is the background to what we're going to be thinking about in October and November. And the title of what I've called it today is, What Expectations? With a question mark. So think about that as we go along and you'll be thinking, oh yeah, there's the word expectation is going to occur several times. Now, I can see some of you have got your coats on still, and some of you have got your scarves on and fleeces and things. So, do you fancy a bit of a walk? Thank you. I do like a sort of, uh, yeah, I do like a, a bit of coming back to me. Sometimes I'll say, this is rhetorical. You just think about it in your head. But sometimes, if it's just like a question, you're very welcome to say yes, but you're equally welcome to say no, I think. But, but yes is what we've got, because all we've got is one person responding. So, let's take a quick trip through several centuries of history. Do you feel like that's a good idea? Thank you very much. Yeah, this is really wonderful. So, let's start round about a thousand years before Ezra and Nehemiah. The Exodus, round about, you know, roughly speaking, 1450 BC. Moses was the person that was around and very important at the time. If we're going to talk about that, which we're not going to because we're talking about Nehemiah, really, we'd say, yeah, Moses was doing a lot of things, but God was in control. 
God was doing things behind the scenes as well as right at the front of the scenes. And so God was in control and he showed mercy to the Israelites. That's right, isn't it? You remember the story. Let's carry on. They wandered around the wilderness due to their sin. It should have taken 11 days to cross the wilderness. It took years and years and years and years, 40 years to cross the wilderness. Was God involved? Did he cast them aside and say, huh, I don't think God ever says that, but could God have said, huh, you've shunned me, you've worshipped this, you've gone against my commands, get on with it, do it yourself. He sent them food, he sent them water, he sent a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. Even though the Israelites weren't following God wholeheartedly, God was still there, loving them, trying to help them through their difficulties. Promised land, around about 1400 BC they entered that. Was it a walk in the park? Was it like just walking around Riversley Park just to enter the promised land? Of course it wasn't. There was all sorts of battles going on. God didn't leave the Israelites just to be on their own. God was there with them, helping them. He was telling them, we might think, to do crazy things. Walk around the Jericho and then start shouting and praising me. But God was there and God said what was important and made things happen. So God was still loving them, even though we know there was still sin going on. Let's carry on. We got to Judges. Remember, Judges was like a cycle when people would praise God. Oh, Lord, I love you. And then they'd go away from God and do their own thing and be independent of of God. People like Deborah, Gideon, Samuel, and a few others as well were involved at the time. But God was in the background. God was saying, you might not be worshipping me, but I I love you. You are my people. I'm going to make another judge come, and they will look after you and bring you back from your enemies. What happened next? There's United Kingdom of Israel. This was about 1050 BC to 930 BC. And we've got three main kings, haven't we there? Three kings. We've got Saul, we've got David and Solomon. We know that even in that time, the people of Israel, there's a pattern emerging, isn't there? The people of Israel weren't always wholeheartedly committed to following God, to worshipping him only. Even the kings were doing bad things from time to time. But what did God do? He had mercy on them. He loved them. He kept saying, you're my people. I'm not going to throw you away. What happened next? The kingdom split up into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Let's think about the northern kingdom for a few moments first. We've got some overall bad evil, terrible kings. Jeroboam, Ahab, do you remember the name of his wife? Jezebel, yeah, you know the people. And Jehu and other people like that. They lasted 903 BC to about 722 BC. And then after that, bad things happened because Even though God sent Elijah and Elisha and Amos and Hosea, his people, prophets, to say, come back to God, worship him only. Forget the Baals, they're just rubbish. Come and worship the living God. Even though he sent prophets, 
They said, no. I don't want to worship you, God, Yahweh. I've got my own life. I'm very happy like that, thank you. So what happened? They were taken off to captivity, and many were killed as well. And in captivity, the place was Assyria. Assyrian kings like Tiglath-Pileser III, Shalmaneser V, and Sargon II were the kings in Assyria who made that policy work, who took the uh, Israelites away. So they went into exile. Let's think about the southern kingdom. Overall, they had lots of good kings and occasionally a few evil and bad kings. We had kings like Rehoboam, Jehoshaphat, Uzziah, Hezekiah, Josiah. All of these kings we're familiar with, aren't we? But of course, they get things wrong sometimes and stop following God. And so sometimes God would send his people, uh, prophets, people like Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk. These were the people that God sent at that time. What happened to the people of Judah? Many were killed or taken to captivity, this time to Babylon, because they were the world power at this time. And the Babylonian king was called King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the one in charge. So they were taken to Babylon. And just like Alma read that psalm, which of course Boney M sang in the 1970s, by the rivers of Babylon, it's so hard that we can sort of say, what would exile have been like for them? But even in the 70 years they were in exile, God sent prophets, God sent people that would help them. He didn't just leave them alone. Ezekiel, Daniel, and probably others that we don't know about, all went to them. And so they were saying, yes, God is with you. But just as Alma read that psalm, so the people of Judah in Babylon, in exile, might have been saying, where are you, God? We desperately need you. Will we survive? Or are we going to go... And, and die as a people, die as a nation. The brilliant thing is, like I've been saying with all of this brief history visit, after did come. It wasn't just the exile and that was it. God intervened again on behalf of his people and after did come. They survived. And so the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians And the exiles started to return to Jerusalem in around 538 BC. It was the king of Persia called Cyrus who gave permission for the people of Judah to return to Jerusalem. And they went back in three waves. So it was under Zerubbabel and another person who's not so well known just before him, but also Ezra and Nehemiah. And the prophets at this time were Haggai and Zechariah. The whole country had to be rebuilt. You can imagine, well, you don't need to imagine, you've seen the, the uh, pictures from Ukraine and from Nuneaton in 1941. You know what ruined cities look like. That was what the people of Judah had to go back to. Their temple was in ruins. Their homes were in ruins. Their wall around the city was in ruins. But God was calling them to go back and do something about it to rebuild what was happening. 
Ezra and Zerubbabel were rebuilding the city and the temple, and Nehemiah was, was called to rebuild the walls. But none of it was easy. But as we'll find out over the next few weeks, and obviously read it for yourself, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll find out that God was with them, helping to do things that wasn't expected. There was much to do back in Jerusalem. But you know what it's like when you've got a lot of things to do in in a week. What do you do first? What do you do? They had to pray to God and ask God, will you help us to know what to do? And the amazing thing is, again, as you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, God would far exceed their expectations of what was going to happen in their lives. What they thought might happen didn't. Something far better happened. And so, do you feel that we could go off at a, a musical tangent? Would that be all right? Do you fancy a bit of a musical tangent at the moment? Brilliant. So, I'm going to play three musical extracts because I'm a competent pianist and so what I want you to think about is does the first section match the second section in other words does the introduction fit what comes next now when I'm in doing the second section I'd encourage you don't just sit there thinking I know the answer to this you can either do your thumbs up or your thumbs down or let me know audibly if you want to it's entirely up to you Okay, so here's the first extract. I want to know, does what follows the introduction really match? Is it what you expect, or is it something a bit different? Edelweiss, Edelweiss, Morning, you greet me. I can still carry on. So, did that, did that go really well? And here I said I was a competent pianist as well. Oh, that's by the wayside, isn't it? So, okay, so if that wasn't quite correct, how about this one? Have a listen to the first section, the introduction. Does the second section match the uh, first section? I can carry on if you like, but do you want to give me... Oh, Colin at the back saying yes. That's all right. That was too... Yeah, because we had the introduction. Here's the introduction. And then we got... That was the the main bit. Of course, that was James Bond. It matched, didn't it? Okay, do you feel like another one? Are you getting the idea? Okay. Thank you. Right, okay. How about this? Does the introduction and the words... Because this is going to be another song... Do these match? The winner takes it all The loser has to fall It's simple and it's plain why should you complain? How was that? 
Do I need to keep practicing? <laughs> so, expectations, that's what we're talking about. I was doing things, introductions, and sometimes what you expected occurred, but mostly it didn't. I wonder with you and God, what has been going on in your life so far has maybe been an introduction, a section of music. Are you ready for God to do a bit of Abba instead of doing Phantom of the Opera in your life? Are you ready for the sound of music to occur instead of, I've forgotten what the first is, Greece, instead of Greece? Are you ready for a change? Or are you thinking, Lord, you've made me like James Bond. I want to stay like James Bond. Are you ready for God, like Nehemiah, to move on and to do something different? I think God wants to change our misconceptions and our belittling of him, because that's what we do. We belittle God. Perhaps the poor things that have happened in your life already don't need to continue into the future. What are your expectations of God today? Nehemiah had a good and secure job. We'll find out. He was a cupbearer to the king. He tasted the wine and things like that to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So he had a, a lovely job, and most of the time he had good surroundings and he was comfortable. Going to Jerusalem meant difficulty, meant things that would be hard. Even 500 miles to get back to Jerusalem would have been difficult. Nehemiah knew it wasn't going to be easy, but he put aside the thing that was easy for him there and said, I've heard you speak this calling to me, God. I can't help but obey what you want me to do. It's not like, always like that when people get called by God, though, is it? Think about David, a little lad, looking after the sheep, being put on by his brothers. He became a king. But he had to wrestle lions and bears. He had to fight Goliath. He even had to fight Saul in a kind of roundabout way, a spiritual way, didn't he? So his passage, his journey, if you like, from being a small boy who was a shepherd looking after his dad's sheep to being the king wasn't easy. What about Joseph? He had brothers, 11 brothers, and they didn't like him because of what they were saying. We know he was going to become a really high official in Egypt. But first of all, he had to go into a pit and be sold to some Ishmaelite uh, traders and then get put in prison for something he hadn't committed. I wonder what it was like for him. And yet God called him to do something brilliant, something life-changing, not for his family, but for many, many people in Egypt at that time. Perhaps the hard times that the people we've been mentioning, Nehemiah, David, Joseph, the hard times they had in their lives were helping them for something in the future 
that only God knew about. If you know me, I've had several hard lessons in my life that have been very difficult, very hard, and they seem to go on and on. And I didn't want to go through them. But I know I'm a different person, a better person, because of going through those great trials and difficulties. So I can't rejoice and say, oh, great, that was lovely. But I can say, thank you, Lord, you brought me through those hard times. I wasn't expecting to go through those hard times. I wanted to stay as James Bond, let me tell you. But the thing was, God had a plan that he wanted me to change. And I went through the difficult things. Perhaps it might be COVID for you, that you just think, oh, COVID's changed our lives. And it has changed nearly everyone around the world, hasn't it? And the churches in the neat. And I talk with the ministers every week, every Wednesday morning. And they often talk about COVID being a, a thing that's just decimated their congregations and people that are volunteering and that have just gone so much lower because people don't want to do things like they were before COVID. The world is different to how it was before COVID. And so we're changing as a church anyway, which is brilliant. But we want to say, Lord, will you help me to hear that still small voice and help me to know that I'm working with your approval and in your power. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned this verse, Zechariah 4.6, and said it's all about the Ezra-Nehemiah era. You will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, all-powerful. God was in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. They had a really hard job to do, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city, and make the walls rise again. But this was to Zerubbabel, a man I mentioned a little bit earlier, one of the leaders, And he was saying, yes, think of all your good ideas, Zerubbabel, but it's God who's going to sort it out. It's God who's going to rebuild the city and make it beautiful again. And that's just what God does in our lives. We had that history lesson, if you like, where we were saying all the time God was there, God was interacting, God was helping and encouraging and loving. And it's still the same today. Remember John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. And when we take communion in a few minutes, we'll be saying, Lord, thank you for your life-changing, lavish love. No matter how old we are, Lord, you've called us to do something for you. So help me to take your hand, even if it's difficult, And hard, we go through gritted teeth. Help me, Lord, to do things for you that I can't even imagine. Just like you couldn't imagine what I was going to play after the introductions. That's a fun thing to do. But I want you to remember it because that can be just like our lives. As we open our lives to God and say, whatever, Lord, so God will do amazing things. What expectations We all need expectations from God, but we need to to give God room to say, how about this as well? How about if you go there? How about if you do this? And for us not to be content 
with who we are now and what we're doing now. But to know that God can use us in amazing ways, all we need to do is listen to his still small voice and then pray with other people maybe and then go for it and say, Lord, you've called me. Will you help me to stand and to walk in your name and to march on with your armor on? So there's four main things, perhaps, about the book of Nehemiah that we might have touched on in the last few minutes and that we'll definitely touch on in October and November. God loves us extravagantly. God calls us to work in partnership with him. But we need to say yes to God, whatever our circumstances are now. And I wonder how God's going to be glorified in the next few weeks and months, even the next few days, as you say yes to God, because he sees where we are. He saw where Nehemiah was in the, the capital, doing wonderful things, but he had to travel 500 miles to where God was calling him to do. Could it be the next stage of your life is going to be far better than you thought it might be? when you were thinking about it a few months ago. God is our composer and our conductor, thinking about that musical idea again. All we need to be is aware of who he is and what he wants to do in our lives and how he can use us to bless other people. You're not a write-off. God has still plans for you to do. Whether you're here in the room now or you're listening in the future, maybe at home or in your car or going on a walk, God has a purpose for you. Just like he had a purpose for Nehemiah. What can you expect him to do in and through you over the next few months? What are the walls that we need to rebuild in our own lives and in British society? Let's be listening out for God and let's remain fruitful for what he wants us to do. So I'm going to pray and then Jill is going to help us to respond and to lead us in that lavish act of love that God has done for us. So we thank you, Lord, that you called Nehemiah and you brought him from a wonderful, easy life, relatively. He had to make a journey and then there was a lot of things that he had to do that was hard work and cost him. Lord, in our lives, we invite you. Do whatever you want in our lives. You must increase, we must decrease. Help us to have good ears to hear what you're saying to us and good friends to help us along the way. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who goes with us as well. We need you, Lord. Amen.